welcome to Web3 Galaxy Brain. My name is Nicholas. Each week, I sit down with some of the brightest people building Web3 to talk about what they're working on right now. Today, I'm joined by Shreyas, co-founder of Llama. Llama is a community that works with the most respected DAOs in the world, including Uniswap, Aave, ENS, Gitcoin, MakerDAO, Nouns, and more. Llama's contributors work together to provide engineering, treasury management, and analytics services to these protocol DAOs. In this conversation, Shreyas explains the ins and outs of Llama's organizational structure. We discuss how blockchains enable a new way to organize laborers, which he calls a contributor DAO, through the lens of his article on Ronald Coase's theory of the firm. Very few people have experience making successful proposals to such a broad range of high-quality protocol DAOs. It was a pleasure speaking with Shreyas. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Shreyas, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nicholas. Great to be here. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about treasury management. I read this article you wrote about contributor DAOs that I think is going to be interesting to talk about too. And I thought first we could maybe just get into uh, what your background is and when Llama got started and, and how that got started, just to give people a little context. Yeah, for sure. So I'm a co-founder at Llama. We are a contributor DAO that works with some of the leading protocols on smart contract upgrades, treasury management, and on-chain analytics. We work with Aave, Uniswap, Lido, Maker, and a bunch of other top protocols. We really try to get embedded in these communities, do things that require engineering and financial expertise, and work in quite a you know down native and, and transparent way. We have a community of 65 contributors. These are engineers, data analysts, data analysts, uh, designers. And I think the, yeah, the idea is for us to really uh, help maximize the impact that some of these decentralized communities have uh, to do things that the core teams at these protocols are not doing that is still extremely valuable for the protocol to be maintained and upgraded and grown. And, and yeah, and, and my uh, personal background is I actually started off initially as a DAO contributor. And so I, I started contributing to Avi and Uniswap and a few other projects. And I quickly realized that it's, way more helpful to sort of form a group, uh, a community of, of strong contributors and, uh, and there's some benefits for both the contributors and the DAOs that we work with to have a group like that. Uh, and I was previously on the investment team at Duke's Endowment uh, leading their crypto efforts. Fascinating. Let's take one second for that. So Duke has a, an investment team dealing with crypto? <laughs> uh, no, Duke has an endowment. It's, it's called the Duke Management Company. I think now it's about 25 billion. When I joined, uh, this was 2017, probably, you know, I caught the crypto bug like 2016 and I went deep into the Bitcoin and Ethereum rabbit hole and I, and I tried my best to get Duke to do things in crypto. So they are you know, traditional endowments. They invest across all public and private asset class. Yeah. Little to no crypto exposure. Um, I would, uh, give these presentations and how MakerDAO works and, and all the cool things happening in DeFi and crypto. Oh, cool. um, and yeah, eventually we, we got to having some small crypto allocation, but... Cool. And then you got interested in making contributions at Aave. I read a little bit of the background in the Contributor DAO article, which I've shared a link to and will be in the show notes. But basically you were trying to make contributions as an individual. And you also tell this other story about another contributor. Is it DYDY? Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, and, um, and as individual yeah, contributors, to, you were having trouble sort of getting things across the line. Is, is that kind of the, the, the genesis of Llama? Yeah. So the cool thing about DAOs and protocols is it opens up this surface area for anyone to uh, contribute and add value. And so 
there's really no restriction and who can participate uh, if you have you know, internet access. But in practice, actually getting something done through, you know, in, in a protocol uh, requires both complex coordination as well as governance power and influence and, uh, and, and people with different skill sets. Uh, so for example, let's take Aave. If you take an asset listing, so Aave lists a particular, th- there's a process by which you need to list a new asset on Aave for um, users to borrow against. And that process involves first, uh, you know, a risk assessment of, you know, what, what this new asset is. So let's say you're listing one inch, like understanding what the risk profile of one inch is, how it actually affects Aave protocol and whether it falls within the general risk parameters. Then you need some governance work to actually uh, put up the, the, the post, get feedback. Uh, you need 80,000 Aave worth proposal power, which is, you know, what say five to $10 million delegated to you to even put up a proposal, you need 320,000 RV to get the proposal through. And you need uh, to write a smart contract. You need to write a proposal payload uh, for basically listing a new asset on RV. So all, all these things like require people with different skill sets. It requires a certain amount of you know governance influence that an individual typically doesn't have. There are really talented people from trying to contribute to these protocols who are, uh, I was a contributor from Bangalore in India, and, and I know there's people around the world. and. And, uh, you know, with, with limited or no connections to, to kind of get all this proposal power delegates to them to people with complementary skill set, get this through. And so it is really helpful to have uh, these individuals uh, in, in siloed pockets, like come together and, and combine efforts to, uh, say, do an asset listing or, uh, you know, deploy a treasury strategy or um, upgrade Aave's safety module. Yeah, I, I think it started off as, as me reaching out to a bunch of people who I thought were strong individual contributors. And then we sort of, yeah, formed this, this community of, of DAO contributors that would um, work with these protocols. And, and that was like a, more than a year ago around when did you, did you start Llama? Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, maybe a year and 10 months or close to two years back. Wow. Okay. So 2020. Yeah. In this like vanilla scenario where individuals are making contributions to large protocols like Aave and their DAOs. What's the motivation for an individual? I assume there's no direct compensation for helping with a token listing as a proposal, right? It's just a, a part of governance, unless the proposal itself includes some kind of compensation for the person. There would be no compensation for such an activity before there is some kind of service relationship, right? Uh, that's right. Yeah, like the default is you don't get paid, and then you know you could potentially um, uh, have a relationship where either you have a contract where you get paid, or you get paid for a particular asset listing either from Aave or the other project. There's nothing by default, but you could you could quote a price for yourself. Typically, do people, I guess there are some people who do have the sway to make these proposals on their own or with the, the votes that are delegated to them. Are they typically paying themselves or in some way having a paid relationship with the DAO? No one typically uh, makes these proposals. So I guess <laughs> the, and yeah, that's part of, part of you know, what, not in problem. I think it's just a, a it's just an element of, of DAOs that I think I and and probably Lama we have a, a differentiated view on is that DAOs are these like abstract things in the ether that it's this protocol. There's some there's some process for governance and there's a community around it. But really, no one is there in charge to like make something happen, right? And so you kind of really need to just like step up and and do things. And and you as you do more things, you get embedded and become part of the DAO. But uh, it's it's a little, you know, why would someone like just randomly take the effort to do an asset listing on Aave unless they want to get their own asset listed on Aave? That, right. that makes sense. But, it, it, you know, a neutral other contributor 
wouldn't do that unless you know they they, they kind of know how to sort of navigate the waters that they have a sort of service relationship with Aave. Yeah, maybe these things like sort of change and and um, become more structured over time. But I think it, yeah, if if protocols are as structured how they are now, like it's there's definitely a lot of open questions and how you get to contribute, like how you get paid by the DAO, and we hope to make that easier for for our contributors too. So, okay, so we should talk about this Contributor DAO article, and I think you make a really interesting historical observation, and that leads you to some conclusions about how DAOs and, and crypto and blockchains change the equation and maybe make it possible for independent contributors to collectively, I don't know, bargain, but at least pro collectively provide services in a way that wasn't the case in the traditional corporate model. Maybe, could you explain a little bit about what the contention is of this article? The idea is that, uh, you know, so first to start off, um, uh, you know, th there's this question of why the firm exists. Um, and, and Coase, uh, who was an economist in, in the 30s, argued that the, the firm exists um, because firms reduce transaction costs. So, for example, the, the employees of a Ford Motor Company, uh, the mechanical engineers and the designers and the assembly land workers, they they don't contract out their services in the, in the free market, uh, but instead they come together as, as a firm and, and they sell their employees, um, you know, through Ford Motor Company because that helps reduce transaction costs. There's a lot of costs, uh, involved in, in kind of, uh, mediating this relationship between the, the type of worker, uh, and the, the money and the services provided by individuals. And so one of those costs is, uh, triangulation, which is, you know, finding and measuring the quality of service. Another cost is transfer, which is bargaining uh, for and negotiating the, the contract for the service. And, and the third is trust, which is evaluating whether the counterparty is trustworthy or not. And so uh, the internet has reduced the tr these transaction costs to some extent for uh, specific work that is well scoped. And so if you think about, you know, the ride sharing services or Airbnb, they really have um, the people who supply these services find buyers and in a way that isn't, um, uh, you know, mediated by a, a sort of, um, uh, another, a bust in our business. Um, uh, it, it's only mediated by, you know, a platform like Uber, I think. Um, uh, but there's, there's still certain services that, uh, are difficult to be mediated entirely by the internet. And those are things that require more complex coordination that have a certain, level of uh, sophistication and, and um, maybe uncertainty in how it's done. And so, um, you know, crypto really enables this new form of work. And so, you know, like crypto protocols are these, you know, very cool open source things that just exist, you know, on a blockchain and that opens up this opportunity for really anyone to uh, contribute and add value. But it's, it's hard to do that as an individual because of a, uh, a bunch of reasons that I outlined before, because it's, it's kind of, actually costly to, to do, say, an asset listing for Aave. It's, it's, it's costly in different ways for both Aave and the individual to actually execute that. And so Twitter um, DAOs, which are these collective individual contributors with specialized skill sets that are like-minded in a certain way uh, that can you know, join forces together and add value to these protocols are a way to reduce uh, transaction costs for contributing to protocols. And I think that there's always this wave of unbundling and rebundling. And so, you know, we're uh, there's there's just an unbundling of work with uh, having individuals really have the power to to contribute to projects uh, you know, just with full agency, um, and I think now there's a little bit of rebundling force in the crypto ecosystem where there's a benefit of you know actually joining forces as as a collective 
uh, still maintaining some agency and, and independence as a contributor DAO. It's a little different from a firm in the sense that you still, you know, work your own eyes. Uh, you have ownership in this collective. Uh, you're not necessarily sort of implied full time, but you can kind of work for several, uh, several DAOs. You can um, just leverage the governance, influence and power of this contributor DAO to kind of have a high impact. Yeah, I really like the way that you explain in the article that, uh, for example, if Google had to hire independent contractors for every single project, every new project that it were to work on, the costs of doing so would outweigh the costs of having a bunch of people on salary for a long period of time to kind of contextualize this coast in, in a modern context. And and it is interesting thinking about that in modern world. I, I've often thought about it. My mother's a, a teacher, and she has to be engaged as a teacher, as an individual, and doesn't have the freedom that we in the DAO space do to incorporate ourselves, uh, you know, wrap ourselves in some kind of LLC or corporation, wherever we might be and have uh, superior tax advantages and freedom of providing services to different uh, organizations, be they DAOs or companies or what have you. So it's, it's interesting in a number of ways that there's something new that crypto enables that the, uh, I forget, you, you mentioned this, this Chris Dixon quote about what it is that blockchains enable. Uh, blockchains are virtual computers that run on top of a network of physical computers that trade off performance for the novel property that you can make credible long-term commitments to users and developers. So what is it that changes? Maybe, maybe you could just repeat because the three things that Coase uh, outlines and then how how blockchains really change the equation for that, the opportunity for contributor DAOs to exist. Yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, the three costs again are you know, triangulation, which is the, the cost of finding and measuring a quality of service. So like you said, it's difficult for, for Google if they had to find a new engineer every time uh, they wanted to work on a, new, on, on a new product and it's easier for them to kind of have full-time engineers that reduces transaction costs. The second one is transfer, which is the cost of bargaining and negotiating a contract for, for a good of service. It is difficult to really arrive at price for something, to negotiate the terms of the service. Um, I guess especially if it's, if it's a, an amorphous or complex thing. It's not like an Uber ride, which is really tightly constrained. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the third piece is, uh, is trust, which is it's, uh, it's hard to determine if the counterparty is trustworthy, if you have sufficient recourse. The things with blockchains that are interesting are, you know, they, they really tackle this uh, sort of trust piece. And so, you know, blockchains are, you know, slow and expensive computers, but they really enable something new, which is uh, that you can run programs that make uh, commitments that people uh, can trust. And so uh, Josh Stock from the Ethereum Foundation had a very good uh, post on Adam's institutions and blockchains where he, he uses word hardness, which is the capacity for a blockchain to, or any, any system to make something very likely to be true in the future. And so, you know, by having, you know, really nation state like properties, uh, like contract enforcement and property rights, blockchains just have enabled these new things. And, and, and protocols and DAOs, uh, given that they're built on blockchains, they inherit some of those properties of blockchains. And so, you know, a DAO is an, is an internet native organization that has certain rules governed by, say, smart contracts on, on Ethereum rather than legal contracts. Uh, you can encode important, you know, critical things like membership, uh, ownership, and, and the property of the DAO on chain. And so then use those sort of, you know, key, say, you know, trust properties to then have, you know, people have the freedom to, to just know that, hey, like, you know, when we build, we've actually we've heard examples of this, we're, we've built something like Pronouns, which is uh, like a bidding interface on top of Nouns protocol. There's a reason we could do that on top of Nouns is because Nouns is, you know, an, an open protocol that exists on 
on Ethereum, like the nouns auction is going to, you know, uh, according to the, the rules set on chain, it's, it's going to be one auction every day forever. There's no way that we can be rubbed. If there are changes to the protocol or upgrades, there'll be a governance process through which that, that's done. And so we'll know when it's happening. Unlike building something on top of Twitter where they could, they could rug you, nouns cannot do that because if it inherits some of the properties of the Ethereum blockchain and then it adds sort of some custom things that it wants to do for, you know, the experiment it's running. And there's cool th- additional features, which is, you know, we don't have to, um, we can kind of, you know, use leverage the community to build something really useful for them, but also, you know, potentially get product market fit easier because you're not starting from, from scratch. You're kind of bootstrapping this, this community of, of users and contributors and participants. And so, yeah, I think the, some of those properties of, of blockchains then, allow us to, you know, reduce the, the transaction cost. So specifically about, you know, contributor does, it really makes it easier to, to reduce like th- those three costs. Like, you know, one, it makes it easier to find work. And so like DAOs have a very open surface area for, you know, Aave, you could kind of do asset listings, you could uh, allocate the treasury, you could, um, you know, say run a grants program. Contributed DAOs really help, you know, individuals get the context and like maybe what, what could or should be done in, in the DAO. And then it allows like the access for really anyone to then step in because it reduces the, the governance friction and, and these other uh, things that don't allow someone to, as an individual to listen asset. It becomes easier to bargain and, and agree on a contract for a service um, and in terms of conditions, because it's, it's again, easier to kind of do this as, as a collective versus as an individual, if you're trying to get, you know, paid for an asset listing in Aave, like, yeah, good luck. It's, it's, it's just hard. Like the, the, it's not the right level of mediation you kind of want, uh, between, you know, the work you're doing in the protocol. Yeah. It's and, uh, and lastly, the opportunity to be compensated where it's unclear that there ought to be a compensation relationship in the traditional governance model where people are proposing these kinds of token listings or, or in fact, they're not proposing exactly. them because they aren't compensated. So it's actually solving this <laughs> exactly, kind of yeah. compensation by creating a kind of maybe collective bargaining is not maybe the exactly precise way to describe it, but creating the opportunity for a specific and constrained relationship between the DAO or protocol that's being governed and the entity that's providing that governance insight. Yeah, I think I would uh, I'd frame it almost as like an, as a version of optimistic governance, where it's like almost like an extension of, of governance almost of these projects where we make it easier for, for individual contributors to get paid or make it easier for productive activity to happen for allocations from the treasury to then go to productive contributions and contributors. And, and yeah, like the, it's, it's hard to do that. Like, you know, there's, there's various projects like attempting to do that. Like we're using the contributed hour structure, I guess, to, to hit at that, at that problem. And I, I think, um, yeah, it comes from a lot of experience, I guess, that I've had that, that uh, others have had as individuals trying to contribute to these DAOs that it's um, in, in theory, it should be like, you should get paid for, for these things. Mm-hmm. But there's some pieces of the, of the way governance works, which I think some of them are, are good. Like any asset should not be listed on Aave and it should be difficult in some way to list an asset um, because Aave is a lending protocol. The key thing is, is securing the protocol and making sure there's nothing that, that you list, you know, results in the, in, in funds getting drained. And so um, needed, uh, but yeah, like then it results in, in, in actually reducing the, the funnel of people that can contribute and that's what it kind of contributed. Yeah, I, kind of- I, I cut you off. I want to hear your third point from the prior list, but I, while we're on the topic, I mean, how does Llama do a better job of this than uh, Ave itself? What, what gives Llama an edge? 
this is kind of the hypothesis in the experiment. And so there's some, some piece of this that we will see if we're successful, that this, it, it will be true that it should be easier to contribute to Lama than, you know, it, to, you know, directly to, to Aave. And it should be beneficial for both the DAO as well as the DAO Aave, as well as the contributors. The few things. So, so one, having a, a fixed long-term contract with the DAO is really helpful to then mitigate some of the uncertainty for the individual contributors, right? So uh, we just passed a proposal to work with Aave for 12 months on protocol upgrades, treasury management, analytics. There's a, a bunch of work that will be done by Llama contributors through that scope of work, but the scope is, is fixed. It's a long-term contract. It's for, it's for 12 months. Um, and we can internally then, you know, do things to distribute that work. In some cases, there will be contributors working on something for, for two months, in some cases for one month, some cases for six months, some cases it's like bounty type work. We can really make sure that this is, this is done with like, the, like as an individual, you can kind of take on these tasks and, and work on them without getting to sign a contract to, to like commit to one year or something like that, or, or working full time, you can work on your other projects. All you need to do is, is pick up the, the scope of work you think is interesting and, and, and do it while still knowing that you can take on more because there's, yeah, we, we have this relationship that's, that's ongoing. The reason why it's, it's hard to create that, that equivalent, you know, structure and like in Aave, like maybe like one version of that, you know, I'm also involved in, in the Aave grants program. And so one version of that is maybe running a grants program, right? And, and so kind of doing allocations, uh, you know, you create a, something like a sub DAO and then allocate from, from Aave to a bunch of contributors for that. It's useful for some type of work. I think it's useful to get seeded for making contributions. Like it's, it's good. Uh, it's a lot, a lot of these projects, first half grants programs, it's good to kind of seed hackathon type contributions. But there's some type of work that is much more um, at a higher impact or, or quote unquote serious in the sense that it's like an asset listing, right? It's not a hackathon project. It's uh, something that, that requires a lot of reps and, and is, is something that you actually can break down into a bounty type thing. Like in the sense, you, you can have a, a well scope thing for a smart, you know, a, a smart contract engineer to work in one piece of the asset listing for a risk analyst to work in another piece uh, for having some, you know, simulations that you run to make sure that things are okay. But those things are just hard to, to just fund as, as like one-off sort of uh, grants. I think it's, it's actually better to, to fund through like a specialized contributor down in some way. And yeah, and I think the other pieces are like, you know, we should have the, the contributors get, you know, paid really easily. Like that's a, like Daniel's on this call, like that's a metric that he and we, we track internally is, is to make sure we could get, have contributors get paid much, much, much better directly through, through Lama than through the DAO and then build like some ownership in the, in the collective over time once we figure out a good model to do that. And so you have some exposure to uh, these, you know, you, you get some payment in stable coins, maybe you get some payment in, in Aave tokens, but you also get some, some eventual ownership in the collective itself uh, and you're incentivized to, you know, do more that brings more to the collective's uh, treasury and, and you can kind of govern over that. In order to limit uh, like grifters uh, just implicating themselves in Llama rather than uh, directly in the DAOs that you're service providing, do you find that the contributors at Llama are sort of solidifying around some kind of core crew of people who are always around and that that essentially becomes like, like a consulting service where, I mean, not unlike, I don't know, some kind of 
consulting company where it has a consistent stable of employees who are working consistently on projects over and over again and know each other and have the rapport to know that they're not going to, they can delegate something to a smart contract engineer and they don't need to read the code over themselves. They can trust that person does a good job or do you find yeah. the same dynamics reproducing themselves basically? Yeah, I think there's, there's two types of contributors. I think there's, there's one that is like the extremely high context person that, you know, should know uh, deeply what Aave is working on and, you know, what type of work Lama has done before, what's, what's needed, can translate the uh, needs of the DAO into work for the contributor DAO. Um, and so that is, is high context. I think that is something that you want people with a lot of reps and, and experience to do it. And so, yeah, we have, so, say, eight people at Lama who are, uh, ranchers who are, who are like our top tier of contributors who stick around and they kind of can do the translation. And I think a lot of the other contributors are, are really strong, but like on a, a skill set rather than on context with the protocol. So they could be very strong data analysts. And if they get translated, like generally what, you know, what's needed to be built, uh, they can work alongside someone who has high context and just execute on it. There's someone who is a smart contract engineer can get a spec and and can execute on you know what's what's needed to be done. Um, so, uh, same with um, with the other types of work. And so I'd probably frame it as as those two those two types of contributors. And I agree that we need we need both. Um, and the second type is is one that is more amenable to a very fluid structure of work. While the first one is 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 more um, is the more traditional. And so the ranchers are kind of vouching for and checking the work of these more transient members or newer members of the DAO? Uh, yeah, that's, that's right. Like the, uh, it depends on the particular project. Like there's, um, uh, there's some sort of analytics work where you have like, you know, different analytics people, um, you know, verify how the other uh, projects are going. But uh, yeah, typically the ranchers and the folks with the context like kind of just, uh, you know, see the quality of the work before things go through. Because Llamas, uh, you mentioned a little bit this idea that like you could have multiple different teams working with different client DAOs or I, I guess you maybe structure it as a client relationship, but we can get into that a little bit. But um, the reputation of Llama is at stake in every single relationship. The Not only is there mm -hmm. some kind of accruing of value to this one organization across multiple relationships with smaller independent teams working with particular DAOs or, or client uh, projects, but the value of bringing, collecting the, I guess, remuneration, but also credibility that's gained through these projects is also put at risk every time a new project is taken on. And if a, a weaker team is going to be doing lower quality work for some client, then future clients will be aware of that, not only the best work that the, the, the group has done. How do you, do you think about that? Do you worry about that? Or is it not really a problem, the quality that you actually have more awesome contributors than you have projects to work on or how does it feel? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so far it's been going, going really well. I think as we, as we scale, like we definitely need, uh, some internal systems which we're working on, like partly reputation systems, partly like, so, like when I say reputation, I mean a combination of, I think social monetary and maybe NFT type reputation systems that, uh, ensure this. So one is a social, which is, yeah, just, you know, having a, a, a few, People at Lama being a tight, tight knit core unit have the others um, pass some hurdle to get through Lama, but then once they get through, like they they know they're part of this collective. You don't want to, you know, you the more frequent interactions you have with specific people, um, at Lama, the more you don't want to disappoint them. Um, I think the other piece is um, we already have bootstrapped the, you know, sometimes the, the pseudonymous reputation of some of the contributors where they 
they, you know, they have a, a traditional job and they want to build a reputation as um, like through another identity. And Lama is like a way for them to 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 do that. Um, and uh, and there's there's consequences if if they you know uh, if they screw up, like they're just not incentivized to do that. Um, I think the um, yeah, the other piece uh, which we're experimenting with is yeah, some type of um, upgradable NFT model where we have um, like we have four tiers: the llamas, so there's the ranchers, the, the mountaineers, the explorers, and travelers. And and the the more the longer that someone stays a rancher, potentially the uh, the more sort of uh, to the llama PFP, and and uh, and maybe that unlocks a bunch of social and economic benefits over time. And so there's incentive to continue to to stay a rancher and to like do work that is um, of, of high quality and and um, and and kind of you know rise up the the system and so things we work on and and um, that's definitely a, a problem we we think about and it's part of um, it's part of like building the contributed hours to you know hopefully solve those problems. What other qualifications required to be a rancher? Is it like a coordinate vote type thing, or it's an amount of work you have to do? How, how does it how does it work? Yeah, so it's um, it's typically based on the 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 um, the amount of uh, like the output you have. So like you know how much you um, how much you've done. You've kind of made a lot of governance proposals. You've deployed a bunch of you know uh, contract proposal payloads for Aave. You've worked on a bunch of data dashboards. It's also based on how much context uh, you have. So for some contributors, like uh, you know they um, have a lot of uh, context in a particular protocol, and they're driving a lot of value and relationship uh, for that protocol over time. Uh, and then part of it is, um, is also just like, you know, looking at the income that contributors earn. So you can almost drive reputation from the other way, which is the more work that some, that a contributor takes on, the more they actually get paid from the contributor DAO and, and, you know, all that top contributors uh, get paid the most cause they just do the most work. It is, so it is qualitative in the sense that it, it's not a DAO vote, and I think that would be bad. This is why maybe the structure is that it's not, it's not, it's not some trustless, entirely decentralized system to determine who's a rancher and who's a, who's a mountaineer. And I think that's good. Uh, yeah, it's it's important for it just like in you know in other organizational structures, it's it's important for um, uh, for this to not be quantified in a way that um, maybe denigrates like the um, the impact of individuals and also be made public in a way that is um, a popularity contest. The, the idea is, uh, so right now, like, you know, three of us basically uh, determine this every month and uh, every quarter. And there's been like you know, zero issues in the sense that it's it's actually been extremely fair. But uh, as, we, as we scale, like, I, I think we'd want maybe that to be extended to like all the ranchers decided or, or maybe the ranchers plus the mountaineers. And, and yeah, have, have a way where a group of people decide this uh, that have high context and are um, are proven to be like really reputed strong contributors. Um, but then that, that the, the, um, the longer that someone stays like, you know, a high tier top contributor, like the more they can kind of accrue these, um, social and economic benefits. Yeah. Because this is a problem. If you do, I, I've seen it a few times in different organizations where they use things like coordinate to decide how compensation is done, that it creates incentives for cartels within the coordinate uh, round to vote for each other and it doesn't create necessarily good dynamics. Obviously, DAOs already have this problem where people who are the loudest often tend to be perceived of as the the most uh, uh, sort of greatest time commitment contributors, regardless of whether or not they're actually contributing the most valuable work. 
but it is challenging to give a community control over its own compensation because those games are non-neutral and they have aspects that can be gamed or even just are degenerate uh, games, regardless of whether people are intending to do so. They kind of can naturally lead to circumstances where people are um, behaving in certain ways in order to increase compensation or, or not. So that, that is a challenge. It, right now you're doing that on a, you said quarterly basis, three people are deciding. Mm-hmm. And it, so it's not, it's not based on the contracts. It's based on like the contracts with the, the clients. It's based on uh, a, more of a quarterly performance review kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I think this is where like, you know, leadership and trust and, and with the community really matters, where it's it's important for people to understand who's making the decision. It shouldn't be opaque. And it's it's important for um, be, people to you know, know how they can uh, have upward mobility. And that's probably that's actually the most important thing is is for top contributors to you know, stay contributing and for people who are who are new to know that they have upward mobility. But beyond that, yeah, I think I think these other systems are like intellectually interesting. They're just like extremely bad if you understand human behavior. Right? Like, uh, let, let's let's take a different example. Let's let's say you put it up to a vote on who should be a, a rancher, or you um, or you decide compensation by a DAO vote. That's that's bad because that leads to the most political people doing doing this, and it just leads to the discussion within the community being all of of of, of, of deciding. Uh, uh, power structures and compensation rather than anything else. I think you could do, um, uh, yeah, you, you could have uh, some quanti- like quantification of this. Like maybe we actually try to do this. Like we were like, oh, like what would it be to quantify contributions? And and if you if you quantify contributions and you have a, a score for every contributor, can that directly lead to like who's a rancher, who's a mountaineer? Uh, that that like generally like correlates to how we would anyway make a decision. Um, but they're just they're just like. All these exceptions like for example there's one contributor who um you know is a like a star like data analyst i'll call him scott <laughs> scott who's a uh, amazing data analyst um and he's just like extremely friendly within the community like he he will solve like problems if a lot of community members like they have like a issue with um their dashboard like he'll sort of fix it he's extremely savvy with um you know uh like he, he he can he really understands the back end side too so like he he can like go deep into fixing kind of the data ingestion and pipeline problem and he's like helped a lot of people and like you know um i've seen this daniel's seen this like a bunch of other people have, have, have told us <laughs> this right and that's not going to get reflected in in a quantitative uh assessment if if sort of what scott's brought to the table but it's extremely important it's uh it's important for the health of the community like the social stuff but also like the output too, right? Like there's there's output that other people are doing that's um that actually Scott's driving a lot of. So um yeah, I think I think some of these things have enough subjectivity that that it's important to um make the process a little more human. And I think to to then have it reflected, like the the part that um that can be reflected uh in like a reputation system is is like oh you're you're a rancher, you're a mountaineer for multiple quarters. Um, and that's stored somewhere like that's reflected in, in like some of your badges or, or, um, yeah, like what the reputation you accrue or the points you accrue. Makes sense. Makes sense. I know we've also talked a little bit about, um, the idea of having sort of independent P and L's for, uh, different groups that are servicing different projects. Uh, I'm curious uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about the relationships Lama has had with clients previously and how you see that evolving going forward. 
Yeah, I think the idea that uh, was interesting, we have no plans to launch token, but the idea that could be interesting is is having like the token supply inflate and and um and decrease based on the uh based on the quote unquote productivity of the contributor DAO. Um and so maybe as a as a metric uh for productivity you could say profit like the profits that accrue to the contributor DAO and so you know the more profitable uh the DAO is, the more profitable specific um working groups are, like the more um uh supply of tokens that accrue to the treasury, maybe that accrue to specific contributors. Uh, for their work, and, and and the less that that's the case, the the less that it is. For right now, maybe the specific working group uh, PNL budgets like don't. Um, it's like uh, maybe it's not enough groups for for that to make sense. Uh, but I do think that's an interesting model if if there's enough segregation. Like if if um if the Lama Ave like sort of sub DAO is is like just so it, like you know there's there's hundred sub DAOs and there's Lama Ave sub DAO and there's there's a Lama Uniswap one, and and you know there there are all these independent like fluid groups between Lama and the and the DAO, and there's there's a way that they all can manage their own budgets. Um, we don't have that need now, but that's definitely interesting, and yeah, maybe we could explore the using Juicebox for that. Yeah, it would be it would be interesting. I, I think just because there's some, I, I think the interest was that there's some idea that maybe these projects should be autonomous or something, or or semi autonomous, mm-hmm. or able to manage themselves with that heightened yeah. uh, context that, uh, like the current Llama uh, organization has within itself generally, but as it scales, maybe maybe there's a need to break things up. What is the the vibe? What is the feeling like if someone were to become a contributor today? You said around sixty five contributors currently. Um, is it, is it mostly in discord? What, what does it feel like being a contributor? If someone's listening to this and they're thinking, Oh, well, I, I do actually like contributing to DAO. Yeah. I find it hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> What's it feel like? Could you maybe actually give Bill the, um, uh, speaking voice if, if it goes down, uh, Absolutely, yeah. as a contributor, maybe, maybe he'll, um, he'll have better thoughts on this than I do. Sure thing. Let's see if Bill, uh, can speak. Hey, Bill, welcome. Hey. How's it going? How do I sound? Sound great. Are you so you're a contributor at Llama? Yes. And sorry, didn't get the full context on the question, but uh, yeah, contributor at Llama and recently joined. So been there for just a couple months, honestly. So been about uh, two, two, three months. But yeah, happy, happy to yeah. Share yeah. About the my question was, um, or, yeah, what's it like for someone onboarding as a new contributor? Maybe you could say a little bit about what your background is and how you got involved in Llama and what what it's felt like. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, first off, a bit about me, a bit about my background. I started um, in the crypto space getting involved, um, or my first big foray work-wise was getting involved with Ave Grants. So I so um, I started honestly contributing. Like I um, started just, there was an RFP to create a sort of weekly recap newsletter and I started doing that. I joined one of the first community calls and, you know, made a simple like Twitter thread with sort of summary and notes and did a few other things. And eventually Shreya's reached out and said, Hey, do you want to start making this a little bit more full time? So started doing part time with the newsletter again, sort of fulfilling one of the RFPs that the DAO had sort of grew the role into more community management, helping, um, helping host and, uh, helping host community calls, reaching out to grantees, doing some of the back end stuff, and then um, grew the role more into events and sponsorships and 
yeah, the role at Avi Grants grew from there. And then eventually, uh, or again, yeah, more recently started um, working at Llama. And yeah, what, what that's like is, yeah, to focus on Llama, what that's like is, it's been awesome. I mean, the first off is, I think, just the caliber of the, the other people. And I mean, some of them are definitely folks they sort of recognize from the ecosystem. But, you know, there's also a ton of people who I definitely didn't really know. And um, yeah, so I guess, yeah, it, it, it's a lot of, uh, you know, I'd say mostly goes down in Discord. But uh, yeah, I think that's the first thing that stood out to me is just the quality of um, some of the conversation, some of the discourse, if you will, going on and, and um yeah, just how engaged everybody is. I think I think that's a really big thing. Um, and yeah, what what is like getting onboarded? I mean, I think you know it's almost like joining any project Discord where you want to sort of you get invited to channels slowly. You try and uh, you know sort of give yourself some context, and then you know again, I think because there's so many great people, there's a lot of folks to sort of reach out to, help answer any questions, or you know clarify anything that I might not have, or you know even just you know I guess sort of. The best way is, you know, even asking just straight up in the project threads or whatever questions. And again, everyone's been super, super helpful and engaging. And then I'm trying to think what else, you know, I guess the other thing is, I guess that's the beauty of contributor DAOs that you can sort of start contributing from day one and having an impact and, uh, you know, actually trying to uh, move the needle. And, you know, there's so much, uh, much white space with a lot of these things. So, yeah, lots to do. So I think that's uh, another exciting thing about it. Cool. And uh, are you familiar with just about everybody who's involved in Llama or more with a particular slice? You know, definitely not everybody. Yeah, the 65 number, that's, it's, it's crazy to think about. You know, slowly I've met a few folks in person, which has been really nice. And yeah, I'd say slowly acquainting myself. So yeah, Llama, kind of a nice, or I think I have a super lucky role, if you will, because I sort of get to see across all the different um, teams in terms of with Lama, it's sort of separated and maybe Shrey has talked about this earlier, but it's sort of separated by, um, I guess, yeah, your, your technical role, but then also sort of what's, what, what projects you're working on. So there'll be a certain Ave workflow or a certain work stream, and, you know, certain ENS work stream and, uh, so-and-so for the different projects. And then I do some work on the social and community side. So I get to sort of see across some, um, all those different, all those different ones. But that being said, I'd say I've still only, uh, say lots of llamas to still meet. I've only met a small, small section of the herd. Very cool. And herd. are you, uh, what, what rank are you? Is it a uh, mountaineer or, uh, what was the other rank? That's not called rank, but yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and yeah. and yeah, to speak on that, I'd be totally honest. And maybe this is, maybe this is going to make me look bad, but I, I'd have to check my, my role. I don't fully know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I know it's in I know it's in Discord, so maybe that says a little bit where okay, yeah, not, not I really don't think that it's, it's a thing. Yeah, it's not super hierarchical, so like I don't even know if um yeah, it is it is maybe reflective that Bill doesn't know what his um uh what his tier or whatever is. But yeah, it's like kind of um we've we've kept it much more social than than it is uh yeah, some like packing orders. So like it's it's uh it'd be reflected a little more when we have these like PFPs. Yeah, maybe uh, there's a certain uh, color choice that these Llama PFPs have when you're a rancher versus mountaineer uh, versus another tier. And then there's maybe um, there's like different cool opportunities you, you could, yeah, you, you, you stay active in Llama for, for three quarters and uh, yeah, maybe you, um, yeah, you can now like uh, speak about Llama uh, in, in DevCon in, in Bogota or something and, and um, we, we fund that. So I'd like to keep it like more, more social and um, have, 
yeah, have people just know that they could, you know, they could just unlock more opportunities as they uh, stay active for longer. Very cool. And so it's really just about how much time you're spending, not uh, not a strict ranking, really. Yeah, I would say it's like t- uh, t- time is one component. Like there's there's much, but like I think it's time, like how much value you're adding, like what what specifically a sort of the the context you have, like things like the example like Scott I gave, where he's extremely productive in the data side, but also having a bunch of others on solving kind of data problems. So yeah, it's like a factor of, of a bunch of things. It's I would say it's like similar to how um, you know like h- how people are evaluated and in, in companies or nonprofits where there's so many things that would make someone good, but generally like work ethic and responsiveness and, and showing up and, and being generally good and nice to your teammates are things that are valued and it shouldn't be anything different in, in, a, in a collective that is, is you know, contributing to protocols. Very cool. So w- what haven't we talked about that we should talk about today? Is there anything that we've missed about Llama? I'm sure there's a million things that we haven't discussed. I- I'd love to know a little bit more about the actual projects you're working on too, but I know we're coming up on the hour. So I thought I'd ask, what, what's, uh, w- what are we not talking about that we should be? Um, nothing comes to, to my mind. I think there's really like this new form of contribution and, and work, given that these these crypto protocols are uh, open source. Everything is kind of by default open in crypto. You have uh, the discourse forums being open. You have on-chain governance being transparent in the sense that uh, you could you could see how proposals can be created. You have the treasury and the balance of accounts actually be open. Uh, you have most of these discards uh, be open, and and so that really opens up like a you know very cool like form of of work for hopefully, you know, millions of people around the world. And I think, I think we'll, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see like the, the more like quote unquote real use cases of, of crypto hopefully come through these protocol contributions, uh, over the next decade. And yeah, we'd love to play, you know, a part in, in making that easier for people and, and, and for DAOs and, and have an impact on that. That's a really compelling vision, and I'm I'm curious to see if other splinter DAOs sort of emerge, or people who've spent time at Llama or at least observed it go off and create even more organizations with some of these learnings and and develop new things, as well as to see how Llama evolves uh, over the next year. It's pretty exciting. I mean, 65 dedicated contributors is is really pretty impressive. Uh, I really think you only need a handful, so I can only imagine what kind of things you're able to get up to with several dozen. It's uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I, I've said this before to, to you personally, but yeah, like really look up to Juicebox with all the like cool sort of crypto native experiments you guys are running. So yeah, we'd love to collaborate at some point. Yeah, thank you. I, I think there is a, a lot of opportunity, particularly because there's so many, it, it's so rare actually in the space to find organizations where they aren't trying to operate like a traditional corporation uh, one way or another. And I think Llama really is one of those that's exploring, based on some of these insights, exploring what can be done now that couldn't have been done before blockchains or especially before this uh, relatively mature state of blockchains where there's lots of people with wallets, there's protocols that are managing serious infrastructure that can be manipulated through governance, hopefully for the better. And yeah, I think there is a, a lot of opportunity for these organizations that aren't trying to just replicate what existed before, but but with with crypto tokens instead of U.S. dollars. So uh, yeah, excited, <laughs> excited to see how we can work together. 
Cool. Well, uh, Trace, thank you so much for coming through. And Bill also, Daniel also in the audience. Uh, it's been great talking about Llama and uh, hope to learn more and continue reading these these great blog posts. This mirror blog that you've got is uh, is full of interesting information and insights. Thanks, Nicholas. Um, great chatting. And um, yeah, speak soon. Likewise. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, everybody. And thank you for listening. Uh, see you next week for another conversation on Galaxy Brain. Thanks, everybody. Have a good afternoon. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Web3 Galaxy Brain. To keep up with everything Web3, follow me on Twitter at Nicholas with four leading ends. You can find links to the topics discussed on today's episode in the show notes. Podcast feed links are available at web3galaxybrain.com. Web3 Galaxy Brain airs live most Friday afternoons at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2200 UTC on Twitter Spaces. I look forward to seeing you there.